What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 133 of the Massive Breakdown Podcast. We have a fantastic episode for you tonight. This week at Bungie has just come out, and with it, a massive, massive info dump. Seems like it's the fourth week in a row we've just had an absolute ton of new information to talk about. Uh, We're going to be talking about some more of the changes to PvP. We're going to be talking about some sandbox changes. We're going to be talking about uh, matchmaking changes. We're going to be talking about just a whole host of stuff. But first, let's get the introductions out of the way. As always, I'm your host, Mercury, joined tonight by Kit Kutcher. And how are you doing tonight, Kit? Well... You know, uh, if you've seen if you've seen the the very brief Twitch stream I dropped uh, recently, I've been better. We'll just I'm excited to talk about Destiny. There's some really cool stuff. This is like honestly, this is one of the best twelves we've we've ever had, um, and it's got me pumped. But I can't lie and say that my stomach feels great right now. Um, so you know it's all good uh it's for the kids so you're saying that for the first time in literally forever you are not in fact doing fantastic tonight specifically i am perhaps less than fantastic i'm very sorry to hear that but it was an entertaining video it's about six minutes of pure fun and joy if you would like to go uh if you'd like to go check it out it's in the discord it's on twitch you can find it there. It is a it is a pretty fantastic video. The uh, the four horsemen challenge was not something to be taken lightly. Yeah, yeah. If you're ever passing through the San Antonio area, and you just want to tear tear out your insides, uh, horsemen challenge might be for you. Uh, overall, uh, I think the sandwich probably pushed toward the two million Scovilles mark in terms of like. The, the number of peppers used uh it's it's pretty brutal and it's uh i didn't ha- i didn't explain the rules in the in the stream but it was 25 minutes max um you cannot get up from the table for any reason or you lose the challenge immediately you can only order drinks off the menu they have milk but milk is not on the menu and you can't get milk until you're done with the challenge no uh no ice cream no shakes they have shakes and i definitely ate an entire shake and then threw an entire shake up which actually actually felt pretty great to be honest with you (laughs) uh and then no no condiments of any kind you can order fries to eat with the burger but no salt no ketchup just the fries as they are made so it was a pretty badass burger. I'm not gonna lie. I made it just shy halfway when I uh, I had to back out, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. The video speaks for itself. Um, but this was for those who have no idea why I would do this or why we're talking about this on a Destiny podcast. This was a reward for the uh, community cards and canvases for kids charity drive for St. Jude that we did as our our personal capstone. To the Guardian Con charity drive for St. Jude. So that's why we're talking about it. That's that's literally the only thing that actually kept me going past the first bite. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, to, to be honest, it's, it's just about the only thing that got me through waiting for the burger after I ordered it. I was real tempted to be like, you know, I've changed my mind. <laughs> um, but it was for the kids. I have a feeling they might have charged me anyway, so... Um, yeah, 
It was for the kids. Anyway, if I'm like super hoarse tonight, that there's a reason why. My my throat's it's not great. Pretty highly recommend you guys watching the video. I was saying to Kutch when I was uh, watching it earlier, he gets a nice sheen about like three minutes <laughs> in uh, as he just starts to sweat an unbelievable amount from the heat. So yeah, it's it's definitely fun. Definitely something you should watch. Um, but we have more things to talk about than just the Four Horsemen Challenge tonight. Uh, we actually have a couple new reviews uh, to read out. We got a new patron that we want to thank. And then, oh my God, this TWAB. Holy guys. crap. The info in it. It's so long. I kept reading so much. and kept scrolling down and there was more and there was more. So I'm not saying it could be, but this could be one of those famed two hour podcasts, which in turn means it could be a two part podcast because I don't think I have the time tomorrow to edit <laughs> two hours of podcasts all at once. But let's get the reviews out of the way. Uh, we left off with uh, Lumpzilla last time, which means we are with Batman117 on Monday. He said, I'm a fellow podcaster, five stars. I love your podcast and I enjoy listening to you guys. I've recently started my own Destiny 2 podcast called Conquering Destiny and would love your feedback and any ideas to help it get better. It is on the Podbean app, and thank you again for everything you guys do, and have a blessed day. So, Batman, thank you for the review, first off. Second off, uh, if I could give you... We don't have time to go into the long, long list of uh, suggestions that I have for people with podcasts, but uh, if I had to suggest something to you, it would be to find your own unique niche or unique facet and then sit in it right because there are a lot a lot of gaming podcasts out there and there are a lot of destiny podcasts out there and the thing that separates podcasts from the pack is their own unique spin on something even if it's just a general discussion podcast having their own unique spin on it or their own unique flavor or their own unique you know thing that they talk about right for us it's numbers and stats and weapons breakdowns and everything like that for the crucible radio guys it was the fact that it was really really great interviews with crucible centric players for destiny reset it's the fact that it's the destiny reset they're talking about right like they're everybody either was the first to do something or they have their own unique spin and and niche that they kind of sit in so if you're thinking about doing just a general destiny podcast then you got to figure out what will make your general destiny podcast you know stand out from the crowd. That's that's the one thing that I would recommend. Yeah, 100%. That was actually my first suggestion, so I'll give you my second suggestion. And that is to get yourself a quality mic and familiarize yourself with editing software that you are comfortable working with and to spend a lot of time, especially at the start, figuring out the best way to edit your sound so that it comes out with a reasonably high level of quality. You know, like I, and I think, you know, we can even say we don't necessarily go for professional quality. We're not sound engineers. We aren't paying somebody to do this. This isn't a job that we do full time, but um, it is something that we've put time and money into. We've got quality mics. We've got pop filters. We've got uh, software that we're comfortable working in when we have to edit it. And I think, you know, the quality of, of the product in terms of the podcast has gone up considerably over time, and I wish it would have gone up faster. So that'd be my yeah. recommendation for anybody getting into podcasting. Uh, don't think that quality content will override poor sound quality. No, because, well... It, it, you it know, can. 
But if the sound quality isn't that poor, yeah, like if you if it's listenable, you can kind of get away with it, which is what we did for our first few episodes. Like the sound quality was pretty shit, but it was listenable. But like now, I think we're on a whole different level. And like you said, we're not professionals, but our sound quality is a hell of a lot better than it was when it started. And it like embarrasses me to go back and listen yeah. to our first couple episodes. It's painful now. Um, yeah. And and you can you can put up with a podcast not necessarily being super unique if the voices are just like buttery smooth. Yeah. And wonderful to listen to. But that's not going to get you all the listeners, right? It's just going to keep them listening if they tune in because of your, your specific thing. And then they're like, oh, damn, this sounds real professional too. Yeah. If it doesn't sound real professional you better hope you got some really great content because yeah that's and that's kind of where i was going like sound quality is like the icing on the cake right you can eat a cake without frosting but it's a little weird and like you might not do it all the time podcast the same way 100 so there you go there you go batman i hope those two things help you out and i hope your podcast uh takes off and does very very well for you uh, next up, we got Kid Deadpool. Uh, he says, to my boys giving us the breakdowns. Five stars. Hey, KDP here. Thank you both for the awesome work you do in eliminating many efficiency questions when it comes to raw data and numbers. This podcast brings with it a unique feel that other podcasts do not. And wow, that uh, perfectly ties in hey. to the first thing. And what's funny is I actually didn't even, uh, I read these earlier, but I didn't even think about that as it tying into the um the, to the initial feedback that we gave to Batman. So, uh, the feeling of not only talking about a weapon being strong, but also why it's strong. I commend you on your accessibility with fans of your work, opening yourselves up to criticism and offering feedback on ideas, along with encouragement. I honestly do not mind when the podcast want, runs long. The more intellectual thought that I can receive, the better I can become. Maybe one day I can get one or both of you online to play Destiny, if you ever came to PS4, that is. Well, lucky for you, Kutch is already on PS4. Hey. And unfortunately for you, I will never go to PS4 because <laughs> damn Sony... And they're exclusives, and I will never forget them for that. So, with that being said, keep up the good work. Destiny 3 has to come out. Weapons 2.0 will happen, or will it be called 3.0 at that point? And we will get the ability to choose our perks later. PvE content is still the best content in the game, and Elimination will be Trials of the Nine, not Osiris. I love you both like the brothers I have never met. Peace. Uh, thank you very much, KDP. I really appreciate yeah. that, uh, that long and, and wonderfully heartfelt uh, review. I agree with some of the last few bullet points that you put out there, but not all of them. But that we'll save <laughs> that discussion for another time or maybe on the Discord. So that is the reviews for this week. If you would like your review read out, uh, please send it to us on Apple Podcast. It does not have to be a five-star review, although we do appreciate the five-star reviews. We will read out any review that you leave, and, uh, and we will give you a personal thank you. So thank you, guys. Speaking of thank yous, let's uh, jump over to a quick patron's corner here. I got to say a thank you to our new patron, Z-Pass. Really appreciate you uh, stepping up and, and supporting us in this way. It means a heck of a lot to us. Um, and it means a heck of a lot to us uh, that, as well that the rest of you uh, have continued to support us in this way. Uh, patrons, thank you so much. If you're not a patron, if you're just a fan, a listener, if you happen to see uh, somebody in our Discord say who's got a gold name, say thanks. That person is supporting the podcast that you listen to. And... Um, I mean, that goes that goes a long way. That lets us do things that we couldn't do otherwise. That keeps us on the air with absolutely no fear of running out of money to pay for hosting ever. Um, I mean, these guys have just have done a phenomenal, phenomenal thing for us, and we really appreciate it. Special thanks, as always, to our sponsors, Goose and Zenso Cal. Thanks so much for your very generous contributions. And I think that is it. We don't have any questions this week. That's something I feel like I should... I should mention now a lot of uh, a lot of patrons. You guys can be 
submitting questions for us to answer on the air. Now, I know that's kind of gone down because we've got the Discord now, but if there ever is a question that you feel would benefit from being answered on the air, that's your right as a patron, and uh, I just want to encourage you to exercise it, especially as we go into Shadowkeep, Season of the Undying, and everything new and new light and all that. Um, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of stuff out there, and if you have a question, chances are somebody else has the same question, so let us know if you'd like to hear it. And that, I think, wraps us up and brings us to the meat and potatoes of this episode. Oh yeah, so, first off, I want to say this is something really cool. Uh, this isn't necessarily something that we need to break down, but just something really cool that's happening. Phil Spencer, who's the head of Xbox, and Pete Parsons, the Bungie CEO, will be playing in the Strike playlist on September 10th on Xbox. That's pretty badass. Which I think is incredibly, incredibly cool. Those are two of the most influential people in uh, console gaming right now. And, and also in PC gaming with how much Phil Spencer is doing for... Uh, PC and how Bungie has now, you know, successfully migrated or will have successfully migrated, uh, you know, to Steam, which is one of the largest, if not the largest gaming platform in existence. So uh, that is pretty cool. I just want to say that. But the real the real meat and potatoes of it is we got further clarification on the director's update on PvP. So they re-clarified that quick play and competitive are going away. Classic Mix is going to supplant quick play with the addition of Supremacy. Beyond that, it's the exact same. Uh, competitive is now 3v3 survival and it awards glory there is a solo queue version of competitive uh, which also awards glory there's a 6v6 control as a separate playlist that has skill-based matchmaking albeit much looser skill-based mass skill-based matchmaking than has ever been in in destiny uh, prior to this point and then there is a weekly 6v6 rotator with things like mayhem uh, supremacy clash um, you know i would assume that Iron Banner will replace that as well. And then there's a 4v4 rotator with things like Lockdown, Countdown, uh, things like that. So uh, it's a lot of playlists. If if we're being totally honest, I think it's probably slightly too many playlists. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the more the merrier. I think they're hoping that with the fresh influx of people from New Light, uh, the populations will be able to support it. But um, we'll have to, we'll have to see. I think that's that's a lot of playlists. A lot. Yeah. It, the main concern I have for that number of playlists is that um, basically smaller platforms, so PC and then Stadia when it launches, are going to have a real hard time supporting populations for PvP for, with that number of playlists. That's my, that's my real concern. Uh, there are going to be dead times when you just can't load a game in certain playlists. Um, and that's, I mean, I think that's always a risk when you've got a game that spans... Uh, soon to be four different environments. Um, so we'll see. I think, like you said, I think with New Light, it's going to be fine on console, at least at first. And then we'll just kind of have to see three months down the road, is it still holding up or is it kind of, is it kind of flagging? So we'll just have to see what, what happens. Let's be real here. They're going to eliminate some playlists. I think they will. I mean, I mean, it, it's going to happen. I, I, if I had to guess, I bet classic mix will go away, and those game types will go into the skill-based match-made control playlist. Um, because what's going to happen is there is pretty much no reason for a player who is not a pretty decent player to play in a pure connection-based 
playlist unless they're playing with a bunch of friends of varying skill levels, right? And that's pretty much the only reason. And I'm not sure that's going to be common enough that it's going to keep the playlist from becoming just a bunch of sweaty players playing each other, right? Because that's pretty much where quick play is kind of at right now is most of the not great players have been scared off. And so they've kind of just, there's a lot of very good players left playing. And even though this matchmaking is just random, they still get matched up versus each other, right? So I have a feeling classic mix. Uh, I would like to see it remain because obviously I think there's a place for non-skill-based matchmade, but I have a feeling it's going to go away. I really hope you're wrong because I I love connection-based matchmaking. Um, I mean, it helps that I'm probably, you know, somewhere around around the middle uh maybe you know and, and it's hard for me to judge my own skill level in quick play um because the matches can be so varied um but that they are varied for me suggests that i'm probably you know somewhere in the middle 50 percent of players um and i really enjoy that i enjoy running up against players who are much better than me it provides a challenge um i also enjoy being able to you know hit the top of the leaderboard uh, you know, one game out of three or, or one game out of two. Um, you know, so there's there's a nice variety of game experiences that I get out of that. And I, I really hope that they don't get rid of it. What I would hope happens is that the 6v6 rotator rolls into classic mix and that they possibly maybe trim some of those games out, things like lockdown. I just, I don't know. I never, I never cared for it. I, I don't think it really caught on that well. Um... I wouldn't miss it if it was gone. Um, or I guess maybe lockdown was only four v four, but anyway. I mean, you could play six v six lockdown. Yeah. It would just be we talked about this. It'd just be brutal. It'd be real. Sad. Yeah, wouldn't miss it. Um, you know, even if that meant that you had the occasional mayhem match in there, I could live with that. If it was just like one in every five matches was mayhem, like that'd be fine. Honestly, if you go in knowing that's what you're going to get, and if you really just want to play. 6v6, then you go to 6v6 control and you just play classic Destiny. They should have Clash in there too. It shouldn't just be control. It should probably, be. and it, it probably will happen at some point. And realistically, it should award, it should reward glory. Like that's going to be skill based match made. You know, yeah. that's and that's what we've said before. It's like that's the way you differentiate. That's how you say, okay, look, we've got skill based matchmaking in this playlist, and it rewards glory. If you don't want to deal with glory. Here's another playlist. There's no skill-based matchmaking. It doesn't reward glory. And then it's just one of the Speaking other. of, I, I want to skip ahead a little bit. We're going to have to come back to talk about maps and stuff real quick. But I want to skip ahead to talking about matchmaking since we're kind of already talking about it. Because um, they provided some really interesting information about how skill and glory are going to be getting tied together going forward. And I found it really fascinating. If you haven't read it, I recommend reading it. Um, but so here's what they say. Uh, Destiny's always tracked players' skill behind the scene, taking into account things like kills, damage dealt, and so forth. Factors all contribute to a player's skill rating. In Season 8, they've mapped skill ratings to glory ranks, with the lowest end of the scale mapping to Guardian 1 and the high end mapping to Legend. Most players are somewhere between these extremes, of course. Uh, as you play in the survival playlist, whichever one, whether you're solo queue or in the, in the regular team playlist, the glory system will accelerate you to the rank that corresponds to your skill rating. If your current rank is below where your skill rating says you should be, you'll earn extra glory based on the criteria above so you can get to your expected rank faster and lose less glory so you don't fall farther away. 
Once you reach your expected rank, glory gains and losses will normalize. Meanwhile, your skill rating is continually adjusting based on your performance, shifting the system's understanding of your expected rank and causing the glory system to respond by pulling you toward that rank. The result should be that over time your glory rank will become an accurate reflection of your skill. It also means that teammates of different skill will experience different glory adjustments from the same survival match. Whew. So there's a lot there's a lot going on there, but I think the bottom line for me is that Bungie has taken some serious steps to make it possible for us to tell what the skill levels are of people that we're playing against, because we can currently pull people's glory ranks, um, I believe through some third-party tools. Um, and hopefully, at some point, they'll allow us to display that glory rank uh, a little more easily via emblems or something. Um, but they've also taken some steps to make glory actually reflect skill, um, which I think is fantastic. And it also gives people a, a concrete impetus to improve in the competitive playlist, while also letting them know that if they go in, they aren't going to get smashed by people who've sandbagged and are, are glory farming. Because glory farming is now going to be a hell of a lot harder to do unless you're getting a smurf account going. And even then, once you've played for a little while and your skill goes up, suddenly you need a new Smurf account. Um, so it's going to be a lot, I think, I think it's going to be a lot more friendly, honestly, for players of all skill levels. Certainly it's going to be very sweaty at the high levels, but I expect a competitive, quote-unquote, playlist to be sweaty at those high levels. And I think, I think that's fair. And I think that's another reason why we need a connection-based playlist to even that out. Yeah, I mean... It's kind of funny. They are kind of doing the opposite of what you'd expect from a skill ranking system, which is usually in a skill ranking system when you beat people who are worse than you. Like ELO is a great example of this. When you beat someone who is worse than you, you get fewer points than if you beat someone who is better than you. Right. So the uh, so playing people who are worse than you is less rewarding, right, in terms of your skill. And the skill climb itself is what people are supposed to appreciate. Now, this is the opposite. If you beat people who are, if you're playing people who are worse than you and you're beating them, it's going to shoot you up more quickly. So you play them less, you know, total. Instead of playing them for 20 games, you play them for 10 games. And that's fantastic because that actually solves one of the problems that I have with ELO as a ranking system for a video game. Because the way ELO works, like in the chess world, you can opt out of playing people who are going to destroy you. And those people can opt out of playing you because it doesn't benefit either of you. It's hard to learn a whole lot from a match where you just are so far, like, outskilled that you're just, you're losing before you even know what's happening. And at the same time, a player who is that good isn't going to gain, like in chess, for example, is not going to gain a whole lot of enjoyment from just destroying somebody who's a beginner. It's not fun. Um... But in a video game, you don't have a lot of control over who you get matched. You don't have any control, really, over who you get matched against. Which means at some point, you're going to face somebody who's better than you. And this is great because instead of because since you can't opt out, it opts out for you by pushing you away from that person and making it less likely you'll see them again. So I, I'm super thrilled with what they've done, and I hope that it works out as well in practice as, it's, as it sounds like it will. 
Yeah, and I mean, obviously, the alternative to this is they could have just done placement matches, or they could have done uh, a minor reset where they reset you down to a certain floor. Which, speaking of, uh, they basically changed the way Glory, Valor, and Infamy streaks uh, work. Which is your suggestions you had, I think, last week or, or when we talked about this, or two weeks ago when yeah. we talked about this, pretty much was damn near spot on. Basically, instead of losses resetting your streak, it decreases your streak by one. Uh, for glory, it decreases your streak by two. Um, and then in addition to that, you can still lose glory, but if your rank is at or below fabled, you will only fall to the next lowest rank, and then you cannot fall past that. So once you've climbed up to a rank, you're safe at that rank. You can never fall below it no matter how many times you lose. Now, there are positives and there are negatives to a system like that. Depending on how they track skill behind the scenes and how they track glory, it's probably a good thing. Most people don't actually know this, but in Halo, in the true skill ranking system and ranked playlist, you actually could not lose skill levels below, I think, like, I was like rank 15 or something like that, or 10. It was like, it was basically designed to where people at a really, really low skill level would progress just by playing more, even if they weren't actually pushing their skill up. Now, the problem with that is if you set the, if you set the floors too high, um, people can kind of go on a lucky streak and boost themselves up to a position where they're not going to succeed. And then because their glory can't fall down back to where it actually needs to be, they kind of get stuck in a little bit. We'll, we'll call it in deep water, right? You're not, it's not like they're going to be way in over their head to where they're just getting their ass beat every single game, but they can definitely get that discouraging feeling of I'm losing every single fucking game I'm playing and I'm the reason why, right? It could be that they played with a fire team that helped them get up above where they really should be. It could be that they just got lucky and they got a couple win streaks or they got carried by some solid teammates, but it can happen. That being said, I still overall agree with this idea, especially because it stops at Fabled, right? So if you end up with a, you know, a clumping of players at Fabled, basically, who want to get their way up and then can't win higher. That's, you know, that's a fine place to be. Fabled isn't exactly a high skill level in glory. It's pretty much just, you know, I don't even know if it's slightly above average, but it's it's near average. Yeah, and I mean, I, th- I think one of the nice things about this system is that they, it sounds like they've sort of thought of that problem. And while you can't, I think, avoid it entirely in a system like this, um, the fact that, different players on the same team can earn different amounts of glory for their personal contributions in a match is great because if you're getting carried like if you're you know if you're just basically going zero zero all match long you're not going to get very much glory because you basically played like a potato and that's fantastic because you shouldn't you should stay low um, and then it's, you know, if you, if you start displaying more skill later, then you'll start to climb, but not until you actually have that skill. That said, there is still the risk that, you're gonna, if, that if you do go on a long win streak with some skilled teammates, you could accumulate enough glory to push yourself a, at a, to a rank that maybe is above where you belong. We'll have to see how it works out in practice. I mean, I mean the thing is, like, like we said, if you, if you do that kind of down low it's not that bad because what really happens is like the skill level difference between someone who's at a thousand glory and someone who's at two thousand glory isn't really high right and so what you can do is you can kind of widen the glory matchmaking down at the lower ends to kind of you know you know say at two thousand glory you can go 500 up 500 down right like you're gonna cast a pretty wide net at that level and that way if you're stuck at like 
you know, if you're stuck at 2,000 glory and you really shouldn't be there, you can kind of still get into matches with people who are at 1,500 glory, which maybe is where you should be, right? At the same time, you could also get into matches with people at 2,500 glory and they're going to kick your ass. So it's like, you know, it, it'll probably be fine because it worked in Halo and True Skill. And really what we have to look at is like, Halo had True Skill 1 to 50, right? Shave two numbers off the right side of the glory system we have now. It's 1 to 55. The difference is True Skill only took into account wins and losses and the opposing team skill. Bungie's MMR is so much more complex than that. It is probably the one of the most complex MMR systems in gaming right now. It takes into account damage done, crit percentage, uh, assist, like everything that you do in a game. All of your actions. And it is very, very detailed on the back end. Yeah. And if it's that accurate, I mean, they it, this I I do have faith in this. I really do. And I think they're going to continue to modify and tweak things in the future. But overall, on the whole, I think these changes are an absolute good thing. I think across the board, the changes are a good thing in terms of matchmaking. I think it's going to make it feel a lot more competitive. I think it's going to make it feel a lot more like you're actually climbing a ladder and seeing improvement, right? And I think it's going to, you know, slot people into the positions where they need to be, where they're playing against people that will help them to improve or make them feel like they're playing even matches. So personally, I'm looking forward to it. I wish it wasn't 3v3 survival. That's like the only thing that I don't like about the competitive playlist changes is that it's 3v3 survival. Yeah. And I have a bunch of issues with the survival game type as a whole. I just wish it was Clash or Skirmish. Like I would take either of those. I think that would be a much better much better thing but you know whatever we'll see how it goes yeah yeah it is what it is for now and we'll just kind of have to wait and see um but speaking of things that we're going to be seeing classic segue uh let's talk about some maps there's some map changes happening i don't i don't agree with these changes but i know why they made the changes that they made um so they are removing dead cliffs legion's gulch retribution solitude uh, that's gonna be crazy because, like, I don't know. I guess I get those maps a lot. I know. I, I feel like Dead Cliffs and Legion's Gulch are like two of the most played maps in the hopper right now. But so here's the thing, right? Dead Cliffs—they're removing it because you can really easily get people trapped in that back spawn by uh, I think it's by A, and you can basically just keep them spawning in there forever and just farm them. Yeah. And so yeah, it's a fun map. It's a fun map in the same way that Shores of Time is fun where the people who are on C win, right? Like that's, and so it's a battle to get on C. Yeah. And then whoever has C basically has to defend. It's an asymmetric map, right? And they're great for attack and defense style modes. They're not great for modes like control that are supposed to be symmetrical modes because then if the team spawns on C and they're good, they're going to dominate. Yeah. And and there's no swapping, right? So I understand why, but I still love that map. I feel like it's also not a good map for survival uh, because it can be so passive. And if you get the advantage in a round, then, I mean, you shouldn't lose it, basically. See, uh, and that one's almost worse because survival, the people can just camp in that A spawn that's normally a bad spawn for control. They can just camp in there. If they get up on kills, they can, yeah. 
Yeah. And then, and then you're just screwed because there's no way you can push into that building. And in control, it kind of fixes itself because if they can't push into that building, then they can't get B and then they'll lose. Right. So you can't just camp the building, but survival, you can absolutely camp that building. Yeah. It's a, it is the least this, I remember this being absolutely a salt mine when it was trials Yep, and it was survival. It was horrible on trials. It was horrible. Those, those matches would go to time every time. Anyway, let's yeah, move they're, on. They're terrible. Legion's Gulch is actually one of my favorite maps in the game, but it's kind of... It's not, it's not necessarily broken, but it has a really weird flow to it when people get on B and they just sit on B and they basically force spawns at A and C. And you could basically just like run back and forth and continually catch people in a spawn. Yep. Right? And B is super far out of the way. Like B is, it, it takes way longer to get to B than it does to get from A to C, right? Across, which is a very strange feeling because it doesn't, it makes it feel like B is not in the center. It makes it feel like B is way off on the edge. So I'm actually sad. I love Legion's Gulch. I think it's one of the most fun maps to play because I can just ignore B, but it's probably not, uh, it's probably not a super balanced map. And I know a lot of people hate it. Yeah. So I can understand that one. I, I think it is very aesthetically pleasing, but like, yeah, I can I can understand why they feel they need to work on it. Retribution is a giant circle. I personally love Retribution, but the spawn traps on Retribution are really, really bad. When you get people spawning in one of the hangars, and you have people spread out throughout the rest of the map, and they basically keep spawning near that hangar, and as long as you don't push into it, you can basically just trap them there forever, and it's almost impossible for them to get out. That being said, you know, for quick play and stuff, I feel like it was great. That, that's the thing. Like for all these maps, I don't feel like they're really a problem for quick play. Um, and I really wish that they were staying for that and they were just pulling them out of the rotation for competitive and stuff. And basically being like, look, we're not going to use these maps for competitive. They're not great, but for quick play, whatever. With the exception of Solitude. I fucking hate Solitude. <laughs> Solitude is my least favorite map because it's basically who can can't be the hardest. And A and C are so hard to get to. You basically have to go by B. And so if they're camping B, they can kill you while you're running past B to get to A or C. So it's basically whoever camps B the hardest, and it's just a shotgun fest. And I absolutely hate it. So Solitude, good riddance. All the rest of them, uh, I'm very sad to see you go. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've spent so much time on Solitude. Like, I just am sort of comfortable there now. I'm just kind of used to it. And I think that maybe that's part of the problem for me and not being able to recognize... The problems with it because I'm just so used to them that they've kind of become part of the way I play. Um, and if you play shotgun, it's a very good map for shotgun players. Yeah, well, um, and I, I will say it is a horrible freaking map to try to snipe on when you're not like a pro quickscoper. Because I obviously I've been working on Revoker and I've had to try to snipe on that map and it is fucking brutal. Yeah. It's horrible. It's, it's weird elevation levels, right? Like the easiest maps to snipe on are things like Pantheon where or sorry, Convergence now, where you can look down uh, a lane and the person who walks around the corner at the other end of that lane is dead even with you in terms of height, right? Because it makes it very, very easy to just line up your sniper reticle where their head is going to be and then pull the trigger when they walk around the corner. That's what hardscoping is. The problem with Solitude is that there's huge variances in... Uh, and height of the map right yeah so it's almost impossible to do that which means you have to be much much better on the draw at sniping because the the level that someone's going to walk around the corner can vary massively and you can't just swipe left or right you have to also move up and down a little bit and it makes it way way harder yeah um and even when they're rounding a corner sometimes they round the corner and they're immediately going downstairs 
or yeah. dropping off an edge and it like it tracking in multiple directions like that is hard and uh i mean i respect the people who make it look easy uh, i'm just yeah. not one of them and then they also touch the big maps right the big maps are equinox and firebase echo personally i'm a huge fan of equinox but no doubt it has some major issues um, in terms of the heavy ammo spawns and bounces and stuff like that. So Equinox is now just in Scorched Mayhem and Breakthrough, which sucks. So I'm basically never going to see it. And Firebase Echo is only in Supremacy, Mayhem, and Breakthrough. Basically, they put it in the playlist where it doesn't matter what map you play on, right? Or where it's specifically designed for one of those game types like Breakthroughs. So, you know, I'm not I'm not going to say I'm happy with that. I like Equinox. It's one of the few maps that exist that promotes a long-distance sightline. It's one of the few maps that I see people using scout rifles on with good effectiveness. I'm sad to see it go. Firebase Echo is kind of a hot mess. Um, so I'm not necessarily sad to see that one go. That would probably be my second least favorite map behind Solitude. But Equinox, Dead Cliffs, Legion's Gold, Retribution, not super, you know, not super stoked to see him disappear. I, I kind of thought they were going to maybe, you know, I don't know. I thought they were maybe going to change some other stuff. I didn't think that those were the maps that were going to go away. I certainly didn't think Dead Cliffs was going to be one that was going to go away. You know, it's really funny. If you uh, Google search Firebase Echo, the first result that you get is Firebase Echo is a steaming pile of garbage. Destiny the Game Reddit. Yeah, well, Destiny the Game Reddit is on uh, rare form today. Rare form, <laughs> still finding things to complain about. But uh, they will say, though, that they are taking these maps away, but they're bringing us back Widow's Court. Uh, they're bringing us back Twilight Gap. Twilight Gap, one of my all-time favorite maps. And they're bringing us back a new map. Not bringing us back, bringing us a new map called fragment which is uh in the infinite forest but the architecture and style is very much reminiscent of the dreaming city and from the screenshot they gave us oh my god it looks beautiful yeah like that's a is a really attractive map i need a 4k version of that is all i'm saying yeah make it the background and nobody would even know what it is it looks like a just really beautiful computer generated uh landscape yeah so i'm very happy to see that i'm i'm interested to see how it plays looks great um and then something we even talked about earlier they're bringing back crucible labs too and they're bringing back elimination and several different variants so that's going to be one more playlist that's being thrown up there grants a limited time one uh but we're going to have a lot of shit to deal with come shadow keep uh and also heavy ammo changes in 6v6 so 6v6 only you get seven seconds after your teammate picks up heavy ammo to go grab it for yourself yep uh if you pick it up um and it is shared so shared crates meaning the crates in 66 give you less heavy ammo just flat out doesn't matter if no one else picks it up you just get less heavy ammo than you would in 3v3 and 4v4 where you get the full normal amount of heavy ammo so that's that's an interesting change probably for the best probably for the best yeah i would agree i mean you don't want a full team of machine guns like we we all know how that worked in destiny one which is to say really well for the team with machine guns. Um, or for the player with truth who just, yeah, you know, I've gotten, I'd gotten 15 truth kills in a row before in D1 because I just kept killing the person who had heavy ammo and then taking for myself. You're a bad, bad person. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it creates problems. So they have to limit that, that heavy ammo, which is completely fair. Um, and frankly, it doesn't bother me at all. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, but let's, uh, we, we've covered the meat here. Let's get to the potatoes. Uh, sandbox update abilities. There is a lot going on here. Oh, yeah. Like this. Some buffs. This is serious. Some nerfs. Yeah. 
Nothing about weapons, but just that'll that'll come next week, I think. But, yeah, they said weapons next oof. week. Which Jesus. Which means they are subclass changes, feeding though. us our podcast topics here, and I appreciate it. I'm glad that they're showing us a bunch of actual numbers, which should hopefully make the weapons tuning much, much easier on the spreadsheet. Yeah. Um but yeah, so let's let's talk sandbox. So first off, they start with the buffs. They they fed us all the all the positive news first, basically. Smart uh, move. Night Stalker, Way of the Pathfinder, which is the bottom tree, bottom tree. Least played Night Stalker. Tree of Night Stalker to date, I'm sure, by a very large margin. So they said the goal was they wanted to lead into the fantasy of a speedy disruptor. Uh, Pathfinders need more tools to scout the battlefield and a skill-based way to engage with that gameplay more often. We should reward the scouting and battlefield control gameplay executed well with more opportunities to do the same. At the same time, Shadowshot needed some quality of life improvements for long-standing frustrations. So, uh, Night Stalker Way of the Pathfinder. That is the Mobius Quiver one that allows you to fire multiple Shadow Shots. Like you said, basically no one touches it. If you're using Night Stalker, you're using the Bloodbound, uh, you know, one from the top. You are, or using Spectral Blitz. Yeah. Just full stop. Mobius Quiver had really nothing positive going on for it up until this point. And it... They, I mean, they're hitting it, like, up in a positive way. They're, they're really going hard to make this attractive. Um, so Vanish, which is Smoke Bomb grants invisibility to allies, now also gives one stack of Heart of the Pack to all allies hit. And they have revamped Heart of the Pack to make it better than it used to be. So now it gives plus 34 to armor, recovery, and agility, which I'm assuming is going to translate into essentially plus 34 on those uh, ability tracks. Zero to 100 stat bars, yeah. yeah. Um, it also gives increased weapon reload speed and handling, can stack up to three times, and then invisibility duration has gone up from seven to eight seconds, in case we didn't, you know... And we weren't quite sold by the rest. Like, oh, now we have an extra second of invisibility, too. Uh, I mean, that's a lot. And you can do that any time. And then you've got a bunch of invisible, extra tough, extra speedy uh, allies to run around and do stuff with. Like, that's, I mean, at the very least, it's got me thinking, if not PvP, and it certainly has some applications in PvP uh, with, a, with, a, with a fire team, but in PvE for running strikes like speedrunning, this is going to be awesome. You're going to be able to skip every fight very safely with almost no risk. In PvP, I'm just thinking of competitive where at the very beginning of a game, yeah. you smoke everyone, everyone goes invisible and gets boosted agility to get to the, you know, the the points you want the choke points you want to be in and you want to be defending faster than the other team. Yeah. I think it's going to be great and and secondary, they basically made another perk called provision um which currently is already a perk it's killing tethered enemies creates super orbs and increases agility arm and recovery for allies they basically said we just took that old perk and attached it to mobius quiver and now we've replaced it with damaging enemies with your grenades reduces the cooldown of your smoke bomb by six percent per damage tick which if you're using a vortex grenade or a void wall grenade or a spike grenade which all do ticks of damage you could conceivably get almost all of your smoke bomb back yeah just you know especially in pve it'll be extremely easy to get all of your smoke bomb yeah back. and then making allies invisible gives you grenade energy 
17.5% per ally. So you see the cycle that they're doing here, right? Where you get your smoke bomb back, you make your allies invisible, you get your grenade back, you use a grenade to get your smoke bomb back. It's like this nice little cycle that kind of rotates through. I like that. I like when they do stuff like that. I especially like when they're very simple ways to trigger that synergy, as opposed to something needlessly complex like we've seen before. Yeah, I mean, assuming here that the 17.5% does not include making yourself invisible, which is my assumption, that's 52.5% of your grenade energy back for smoking your team in comp. So you spawn in, you just chuck a grenade for the enemy spawn, smoke your team, your grenade is half back. By the time you get to where you're going, it's probably all the way back. Maybe you got lucky and hit the other team. And then Mobius Quiver getting stacked up too. Obviously it allows you to fire your super multiple times and it deals increased damage to targets that are already tethered. Um, and then also in addition to that, killing tethered enemies creates super orbs and grants stacks for heart of the pack which as we said got a massive boost yeah. for your allies so now heart of the pack is a big thing right and then in addition it expanded the range of heart of the pack from 20 meters to 30 meters so they barely even have to be close to you to be getting heart of the pack right and then in addition to that they increased the shadow shot super from 150 damage which could not one shot to 250 damage which can one shot they improved the tether accuracy in near obstacles and they made the suppress on hit more consistent yeah so all of a sudden, you went from Mobius Quiver being totally useless to having the ability to kill multiple opponents in PvP, just like in D1. Pretty much, I'm swapping right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm completely sold. Uh, and this is maybe the moment to remind you that although Orpheus Rigs will return less super energy for Top Tree Night Stalker, it still gives you more shots with Mobius Quiver. Uh, so it's still an exotic worth thinking about, uh, and, and actually worth thinking about in PvP now. Which is the first time it's ever been worth thinking about yeah. in PvP, which is amazing. So Yeah, so it's... And I, I'm really curious to see with the damage bump how that affects PvE, especially for boss damage, because Shadow Shot, as we're going to talk about later on, is getting much better for boss damage. Um... And I mean, with this extra damage doing and then doing massive damage to tethered enemies, if you just sit there and pump your quiver into a boss, like it, I mean, that could be a significant damage bump. Like I'm really curious to see how that pans out for us. That's going to be something that's going to be worthy of getting tested for DPS option. Here's what I want to say before we even go on to the next thing. I this is the most positive I've probably been overall about subclass changes. The subclass changes are not overly complex. They're not anything crazy. We've seen before subclass changes be needlessly complex. They change things that didn't need to be changed. The first Nova Warp Nurse, for example. Yeah. The Bottom Tree Striker buffs, for example. Crazy, out, seemingly out of nowhere, don't make any sense, way over the top, right? These nerfs show a fine, fine understanding of what the subclasses should do and how they should act. And I really, really, really appreciate that. A lot, and I'm very, very excited about reading these nerfs because for the first time, I find myself like shit, nodding my head and being like, "Yes, that's a great nerf, or that's a great buff, or that's a great nerf." Like I really appreciate that. Yeah. Like I do think that will make a positive difference without being over the top because you look at the changes that they made to Night Stalker, Way the Pathfinder. Not a single one of those things can you look at and be like, "Holy shit, that's fucking broken." You don't say that. You think, "Oh." I could probably tweak this in a way to where I can get my smoke back really quickly or I can get my grenades back really quickly, right? 
that's cool. But you don't think, oh, I can make my super literally last forever. Yeah. Right. So that's this is what I like to see. This is what I like to see. And they did it too on Sentinel Code of the Protector, which is the top. They did it with this one too. And I'm very, very excited about it. They said the path is the main support role for Titans. It focuses very heavily on melee kills while staying near allies. And plus, they're playing into these fantasies too. They're clearly outlining the fantasy. They're explaining to us, this is something they've never done before, at least not well. They're explaining to us, guys, this is how you should be playing the subclass. This is what benefits the subclass most. They're spelling it out in plain text. We want to focus more heavily on buffing allies so that players care about the timing of their buff usage. With a loop, which allows players to get their melee energy back more quickly, this will be a more engaging path to play. Additionally, Ward of Dawn is currently not of stuff, which is very obvious, and needs a buff that ties into the fancy of buffing allies. Defensive Strike. Currently, it's a melee ability that creates an overshield for nearby allies. Now, all kills while the, melee, while the overshield is active grant melee energy for the player with the shield. This works for all allies that you grant a shield to. So if you are shielded by your buddy who's a Code of the Protector, and you get kills, all kills, doesn't have to be melee kills, all kills, it gives you back melee energy. That's nice. In addition, uh, it just clarifies that it's based upon the enemy threat level, 5% for adds, 25% for players and bosses. Um, then they have Rallying Force, melee kills, heal nearby allies. It said the heal is buffed from 10 health and 10 shields to 10 health and 20 shields. It's still not huge. But I mean, it's free health for you not even doing anything, right? Like all that happens is you just punch someone and kill them and or your buddy punch someone and kill them and all of a sudden you get a bump in health, which can make a difference in an engagement. That's 30 HP additional, right? Yeah. Um, I, I see that being kind of helpful in, in hectic PvE situations. Um, maybe you're getting swarmed by Thrall, your buddy's in trouble, you go punch some Thrall next to him, he gets healed. Ward of Dawn. It's an alternate super that creates a shield bubble, we know that. Uh, they increased ward health versus other supers. Right now, Ward of Dawn is really like a sitting target. You're like, oh, there's a bubble. I'm about to go pop that bubble. And then no matter what super you have, you pretty much do pop the bubble. And you in inevitably kill the person inside of it. So it says most supers will now require the entire super to be dumped onto the ward to destroy it. And will usually not kill the player inside. So you're not guaranteed to survive just because you have a Ward of Dawn. But you are pretty much guaranteed to take up their entire super as opposed to before where someone could basically use one part of their super to destroy it or two and then still kill you inside. Yeah, six shooter, I think, took two shots to pop it and then left you four shots to kill people and then go find more people. Uh, I definitely I definitely laughed every time I saw Word of Dawn. Yeah. Uh, this is someplace where I'm like, this might be a bit much, but I'm very happy. Ward grants weapons of light buff when passing through it, which is 35% for 15 seconds yeah that's an insane that's, buff that's the biggest standing damage buff you can get right now yeah that's basically having kill clip active for 15 seconds just for running through an ally super ward of dawn went from totally useless to probably one of the strongest pvp supers in the game not to mention pve now yeah pop a ward of dawn for your allies to back into when they're weak and then they step out and they've got 35 percent weapon damage for 15 seconds and assuming, of course, that you're running Helm of Saint 14, and why would you not be running Helm of Saint 14? It also blinds all of your enemies and gives your allies an overshield when they pass through it. So, you know, I mean, like, like I kind of want to go play Titan now. <laughs> like, that's the level we're at. Well, I can tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to use a Bite of the Fox, which is a high impact. It's an aggressive sniper. I'm going to pop a Ward of Dawn, and I'm going to body shot everyone forever. Yep. And it's going to be wonderful. 
So yep. uh, it also grants an additional super orb, which is now three. And it says auto-generated orbs now grant the same amount of super energy as regular super orbs. Previously, the orbs gave less super energy on par with masterwork orbs. We will talk about those numbers down at the bottom. They actually gave us the super uh, numbers for orbs, which is very, very helpful. So, wow, Code of the Protector uh, has gone from being laughed at to a truly, truly tremendously powerful subclass. Yeah, that's going to be good in all modes now. Um Rolling on, Sentinel Code of the Aggressor, bottom tree. Uh, shield Bash, shoulder charge that disorients uh, nearby enemies, now suppresses the target hit. And any enemy within two meters basically have to be right next to them. It's going to be great for PvE. Um, it is. It's going to be... You know what it's going to be even better for? Shoulder charging supers in PvP. Yep. That's what it's going to be even better for. That's exactly so, what it is for. So, so excited to try that because I already run Bottom Tree Sentinel and I love it more than anything on Earth. The fun so. police felt like their grenades weren't doing enough. Now they got to get out the batons and go smack some skulls. Can you imagine the fury of being in a super, getting shoulder charged, getting disoriented, and getting suppressed out of your super? It's going to be wonderful. I can't imagine it. This is why I just run Golden Gun, so that when I get shoulder charged, I die instantly. Yeah, you don't even have the fury being suppressed, and don't have to don't have to think about it. Oh, nope. uh, Void Walker, two minute of hunger, which is the bottom one. Vortex. Right now, Nova Bomb leaves uh, behind a damaging AOE pool. Uh, the initial explosion damage has been increased by fifteen percent. The lingering damage has been increased by fifteen percent. I mean, realistically, that's probably for PVE because it wasn't really super strong compared to Slova Bomb now. With Slova Bomb's better tracking of the Axiom darts onto single targets. Uh, so I think that's there to help Vortex be a little bit stronger. I mean, it's not like anyone's really, really using it. So I'm glad to see, especially since Skull Diorum Car got nerfed. So I'm glad to see that uh, that it's getting a little bit of love. Dawnblade, a two minute grace. Uh, well of Radiance grants an additional Super Orb, now three. So it's very similar to Ward of Dawn. Uh, and auto generate orbs, it basically just buffed those as well. So. Well of Radiance got a little bit of a buff, but that's because down below it got quite a bit of a nerf. In my opinion, an extraordinarily smart nerf. But any other thoughts on the buffs before we move on? Uh, no, I don't think so. Other than that, I, I kind of honestly feel like they need to just rework Nova Bomb at this point because the lingering damage... I mean, every, everything in the area just is already dead 90% of the time. Unless you're hitting a boss with it, at which point Slova Bomb is kind of the clear choice, so... Well, hopefully they made. Hopefully that combined fifteen percent on each makes it a little bit closer, so that it's less of a choice about oh, which you know super do I want to use, and more of a choice about what other perks do I want to use, and then the supers are kind of interchangeable. Yeah, I mean, I mean, kind of the only place where I can think of that you might choose this is is maybe Gambit, where you're just trying to hose down Nuke the boss, yeah. the boss's platform, and then you don't want any spawning enemies hanging around in there. Uh, but with Gambit Prime, the boss moves around so much you can't even really use it there. So it, I don't know. It has a lot less utility than uh, than it might. Anyway, that's my that's my last thought. Let's move on to nerfs. Ooh, this one this one hurts my soul a little bit. It but does. Night Stalker, where the Trapper, which is the top one, it says Shadow Shot fires an arrow that damages enemies and debuffs enemies nearby. So what it currently does is everybody who's tethered, if you are the person who fired the tether and you shoot at them, they share one hundred percent of the damage. Which means if you kill one person who's tethered, you kill all people who are tethered. Yeah. They're dropping that down to 50%, um, which is unfortunate. 
I understand why. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It hurts my soul. I mean, and let's just, just to, to recap, Shadow Shot is a one-hit kill now. And in theory, they've improved the targeting so you're less likely to hit a doorway or a wall or a pillar next to your enemy and instead actually hit that enemy. So we'll see how that works out for us. But hopefully that is going to kind of even this out to where you can automatically kill the first person. And then, you know, maybe one or two other people that you've caught can't insta-kill them. But hey, like, you know, you're still getting shared damage which is still cool so i can live with it for now absolutely and then night stalker way of the wraith middle flawless execution uh which is headshots headshot kills while crouch grant visibility and true sight um i personally thought they should have just made it back to what flawless execution originally was which was uh headshot kills without taking any damage grant invisibility and true sight and it was a tool for snipers um but now basically true sight lasts three seconds down from nine phenomenal change Super happy to see it. People abusing True Sight were the bane of my existence. I absolutely hated it, especially with Chaperone, which I never thought it should have been able to activate with. But you know what? I am really, really happy to see it. Definitely not going to be able to abuse it anymore. Three seconds is enough to get basically one or two like pulses and scouts, and then it's gone, as opposed to constantly being able to track people through walls. So happy to see that. Shattering Strike, after performing a flawless execution, your melee attacks have a longer lunge range and weaken enemies. They said, advanced warning. Uh, when we made this change to false execution, it also unintentionally nerfed the ability to only last three seconds because it was directly tied to the true site. Uh, we have prepared a fix for 4.6.1, which will restore the weekend and lunge range increase to last the entire nine seconds, regardless of true site and invisibility status. So that's pretty nice. They didn't want to nerf Shattering Strike. They accidentally did, but they're going to put it back to the way it was. So that's good that they saw that. Yeah, no, I guess really no further comment there. Like like you said, true site... True Sight was real, real strong uh, in a lot of situations, and uh, it's still going to be strong, but not not for not quite for as long now. Um, next up, instant reloading. So let, let's talk about what they what their goal is here. Um, so in the beginning, they they acknowledged Luna factions and Rally Barricade did exist, um, but they were clunky to use. They had a dramatic impact on gameplay, even in that state, right? Like we all. Those of us who were around when Destiny 2 first came out, we all know, like, uh, like that was those were kind of like default, like, like options, right? You used Rally Barricade all the time. Everybody knew to crouch behind it. Uh, Warlocks had Luna factions. They didn't. They didn't have to worry about it. So hunters, hunters knew to crouch behind the Titans Barricade. Um, and that those instant reloads changed encounters in fundamental ways. They changed the weapon choices that we made. They changed. The positioning that we used, it changed a lot about how we played those encounters. Um, and so those problems, quote unquote, always, uh, were, they were always there in the game, but over time they've become magnified because there are a lot of new abilities, perks, weapons introduced that add to that effect. Um, so the impact, they say, of something that takes all reloading out of the equation means that other perks or effects like the Hunter's Marksman Dodge or the Sealed Omkar's Grasps can simply fall to the wayside. Even swords take a hit in comparison, being one of the few weapons that naturally never needs to reload. Reloading is one of those mechanics that are simple, but have wide-ranging consequences. Because the effect on gameplay of removing and reloading is inversely proportional to the size of your weapon's magazine and how slow your general reload animations are, that is to say, uh, not having to reload matters a lot when it takes you a long time to reload normally, 
Uh, weapons like rocket launchers and shotguns can benefit greatly compared to other weapons. Cough-cough uh, cluster bombs, cough-cough trench barrel, uh, lots of different ways to abuse that with instant reloads. This alongside the increase in general access to damage bonus effects like Wall of Radiance, which you can drop right on top of a boss if you're real ballsy, uh, left us with the decision to remove this effect from these two sources as they were causing things to quickly snowball out of control. So, long story short, not having to reload is causing problems for them when it comes to designing boss encounters. They don't want to just make bosses massive bullet sponges because that's sort of just, you know, then they're sort of just bandaging the cut that they made. So the solution is kind of in line with what they did with Whisper of the Worm. They are taking that ability away completely. Titan Rally Barricade now provides a large increase to reload speed for the duration of the effect. No longer automatically reloads your weapons from reserves. Warlock Rift and Well of Radiance. Uh, Luna Faction Boots now provides a large increase to reload speed for the duration of Well of Radiance. Exotic no longer automatically reloads your weapons from reserves. So they've basically said, okay, you still have to reload. You have to do the animation. It's going to be faster than it would be normally. But you actually have to do it. You can't skip it completely now. That's frustrating to a certain extent, but I can, I can understand where they're coming from here. Um, especially now that I'm, I'm less upset about the Whisper nerf. Um... They've really said, okay, this was a problem for us. We're trying to make bosses that are interesting, but it's hard to make them interesting mechanically if they just have to be massive bullet sponges as well. Um, you kind of don't want to go both directions with a boss, I think. If it's a massive bullet sponge, you don't want to make it mechanically complicated. If it's mechanically complicated, you don't want to make it a massive bullet sponge. Um, so hopefully this is going to result in Bungie having some more freedom to play around with boss mechanics and make more interesting boss fights. That's my hope, is what comes out of this. Selfishly, I hate this change because my proposed DPS spreadsheet was just going to ignore reloads on the fact that everybody would have a rally barricade or a well of radiance. Yep. I also kind of like the simplicity that it provided to boss encounters, um, where you could just take reloading out of the equation. And I understand the problem, especially with things like grenade launchers and rocket launchers. The only real solution would have been to actually slow down the rate of fire, right? And that's just, that's quite frankly not what needed to happen. An alternative could have possibly been that uh, it only enabled automatic reload for primary weapons or for special weapons. Or, you know, th there were other things. I think this is probably the simplest and most universally acceptable. It's definitely going to screw up my DPS spreadsheet plans, but that's okay. Uh, we'll find a way around it. But it does, it does make sense. I mean, reloading is a fundamental part of each weapon's characteristic that defines the weapon. Rocket launchers have slow reloads. Shotguns have slow reloads. It helps to counter the massive, massive positives that those weapons have. And when you remove yeah. slow reload, you remove a portion of the balance of that gun, and very quickly the guns become you know, ubiquitous, just overpowered for whatever whatever encounter they're designing and i know as a designer that that's frustrating so i understand it personally it hurts my soul overall i think it's really great for the game and it needed to happen there's still going to be tier one exotics or tier one abilities you're still going to want to use them because it's still going to help you for dps 
but no longer is it you must have one or you can't do the encounter basically yeah cough cough reckoning um yeah i mean i think i like i said i know where they're coming from here um it's it's a hard pill to swallow anytime you're kind of used to things just being easy and suddenly you have to work for them a little bit again um but in light of so many other good things going on here i can't begrudge them this one change to make it easier for them to design encounters for us so uh let's uh let's talk about some numbers speaking of uh super energy regeneration uh so goal these changes will reduce the speed with which players are able to earn their super which supports difficulty and reduces the current ability to trivialize certain content through excessively chaining supers systematically we want to reduce base sources of supers on a large macro scale without diminishing the feeling that your actions are gaining you a worthwhile energy boost. By reducing the speed at which you gain super, we can make mods and perks feel more worthwhile. We still want it to feel like you can make meaningful progress, not only through normal play, but by augmenting super energy through teamwork, class choices, gear, and skillful play. So basically, they want it to be a conscious choice. If you want to get your super back as quickly as you get it back now, you have to make a conscious choice to do that. Can't just randomly run around picking up the orbs your teammates have already generated and firing off your super and then just chaining supers indefinitely. This is actually, I know that it's focused kind of on PvE, but it is going to have a massive, massive effect on PvP because one of the slow, the snowball mechanics right now is once the first super start, if they're used successfully, it's just super chains basically the entire rest of the game. This is 100% fantastic for the game both pve and pvp content supers should be super they should feel special but if you want to get your super as quickly as you do now you now need to spec into it you need to get super mods you need to get your intellect up you need to focus on picking up orbs focus on generating orbs no longer is it just a passive oh there's my super again it's been two minutes and i've got another full one right and i love it i love that change yeah 100 percent agree um, and so let's just, just to run through the numbers real quick, here's what you get. Uh, super orbs, orbs dropped from other people's supers, 7.143%. Uh, that's a 50% reduction, so it was giving you over 14%. Masterwork orbs uh, giving 2.5%, again, 50% reduction. It was giving you 5% before. Uh, kills all universally got a 25% reduction in their output. So uh, miners are giving you 0.6%, elites are giving you 0.96, mini bosses 1.8, bosses 3, and players 3. And then assists um, also got a 25% reduction. They are giving you half of all of those numbers. So basically, you know, you can look at it like it's going to take you uh, slightly longer, a quarter of the time longer than it would have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that doesn't seem unreasonable to me. So it was taking you four minutes before, now it's going to take you five minutes if everything else is passive. It could still take you four minutes, but you're going to have to spec into it to get down to that four minutes, right? I think that's totally, totally understandable. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and one of the things we, we kind of have yet to see with uh, super focused builds is, well, I guess two things really that we have yet to see. One, we have yet to see exactly how the intellect stat is going to scale in terms of what it does for you getting your super back. We've got a little bit of information, but we don't have the full picture. We don't know how it changes at the top end. Uh, and that's going to be important. Does it stay 
linear. I mean, we could be getting, we could be talking about some pretty fast super regen at that point. Uh, does it curve and, and it gives you kind of diminishing returns toward the top? Is it a sine wave and it kind of goes up and down? Like we don't know. Uh, so that's going to make a big difference in what we choose to do. The second factor that we're going to have to look at when Shadowkeep launches is the interaction between uh, Forsaken era armor and armor 2.0. Because as things stand right now, uh, it looks like we are still going to be able to be using Forsaken era armor with super mods in combination with armor 2.0. And so if you can stack your intellect stats in combination with those super mods successfully, I mean, again, we can be looking at some pretty fast super region comparable to what we have today. Uh, this is going to make a dent in that, to be sure. But it's only going to be a sm it's only going to be a small dent, especially in PvP, because PvP, uh, in terms of the first person getting their super, they're getting it from kills and just from having a fast regen. So we'll have to look at that when we have more data. Right now, it's all theoretical, and I don't want to guess. Um, although I probably will guess at some point here in the next few weeks, but I don't want to guess right now. And another another huge thing, um, if we're good moving on, is the damage multipliers. Yeah. Uh, at Destiny 2 launch, damage buffs were fairly sparse. There was Empowering Rift for a small increase, and you can combine it with a weakening effect such as Hammer Strike, but very little else. As time has gone on, we introduced Well of Radiance, Weapons of Light, Guiding Flame, Frontal Assault, and combine these effects. Uh, it has resulted in a player damage output far beyond what was previously available. Uh, even with just a small amount of them, a player can go from one times damage to three times and beyond, causing there to be an extremely large gap between standard player output and theoretical output. Uh, by preventing the larger effects from stacking, we're able to keep each of them around without having to do something in response like raise boss health to compensate for these tactics, as well as create more of them. As an example, Lumina would not have been created in a world where the damage bonus effect of Noble Rounds stacked with other damage effects, and these changes are simply an extension along those same lines. While the weakening effects never stacked, we also took a look at them and adjusted their values as many of our more powerful units would simply evaporate when touched by one of them, but we compensate for that in other ways such as extending the duration of the effect, or in the case of Shadow Shot, making effect power weapons. Alright, so player damage buffs. Uh, basically, these are player bonuses. They, uh, they affect all of the player's weapons simultaneously. They do not stack multiplicatively, instead the highest applicable one is used. Now, they want to clarify that this does not affect single weapon buffs, such as Rampage Kill Clip, or exotic weapons that increase their own damage. These will all still continue to stack multiplicative views, which all of a sudden makes them very, very important in PvE, much more important than they were before. <coughs> Darcy. <coughs> buffs uh, that provide bonus damage will still exist simultaneously, so then the event the highest multiplier one wears off, the next highest will be used instead. So you don't have to worry about doubling up necessarily. It can still be smart if you... Uh, use one slightly after you use another so that when it wears off, you still get the damage buff from the second one, right? Um, yep. This change affects the following abilities. Empowering Rift, Frontal Assault, Guiding Flame, Sun Warrior, Inertial Override, Well of Radiance, Lumina Noble Rounds, and Weapons of Light. The exception to this is Vengeance for One-Eyed Mask will still continue to stack multiplicatively. Uh, that is the only one. So One-Eyed Mask, still going to be a very, very potent, uh, potent exotic. Uh, but they've decreased the bonus damage on several of them. Frontal Assault is down to 20% from 25. 
Sun Warrior is down from uh, 25% to 20. I think I might have said that wrong. Frontal Assault is down from 25% to 20. Sun Warrior is down from 25% to 20. Well of Radiance is down from 35% to 25%. Weapons of Light was is up. It is now at 35%. It was previously at 25%. So they basically swapped Weapons of Light with Well of Radiance. And they said, you know, you guys were all using Well of Radiance before. Why don't you give Weapons of Light a try? Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be interesting, certainly. Um, for one, uh, I think Weapons of Light is a little riskier in some ways than Well of Radiance because you do have to kind of step out of the bubble for the most part to use it unless you drop it on the boss and are just sitting there with a shotgun, um, which is an option in some scenarios. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that they flip-flop those. Uh, all in all, I'm pretty happy with this shift. Uh, I understand what they're doing. Um, I, I mean, I mean, again, it's the same thing I mentioned before. Like, boss health cannot go up forever. Um, at some point, they have to stop it. And if we are just smashing bosses first round because there's no end to the stacking, then there's kind of no strategy at that point. And so now we kind of have to make some tactical decisions about what we want to apply and when. And that makes, for me, I think that makes gameplay more interesting when you're making choices that matter instead of just, let's just use everything all at once. Um, there's no choice there. You're just doing it. Um, so I, I think this overall is going to make the game more fun to play, more interesting to play. Um, let's talk about debuffs. Do you have anything to add there? So I actually have a, I actually have a question. I don't know specifically how this works um, because I don't really play pve that much do can you have one buff and one debuff active at the same time is that what you can do or is it you can only have the strongest of the two active uh you know i don't do enough high-end uh pve to be absolutely confident in my own answer my understanding was that you could have any number of buffs and one debuff, and now it's going to be one buff and one debuff. Yeah, that would make sense because people use Well of Radiance and Hammer Strike, right? So, and Hammer Strike's a debuff. Right. So you can yeah. have one or the other. Yep. Yeah, or used Well and Tether. So you can, you can combine them. Um, and now, but debuffs didn't stack. That was the thing. Debuffs never stacked with each other. Um, and they still will not stack with each other. So you can get one debuff, one buff, best of both worlds. Um, that seems to just make perfect sense to me, um, quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a lot more elegant. And, and like I said, I think it makes for more interesting choices. Like that was always the thing with debuffs is like, okay, are you going to use Hammer Strike? Well, then I'm going to hold on to my Shadow Shot. But now they basically made them all do the exact same thing. If you whiff your Hammer Strike, then I'll Shadow Shot or whatever. Or when it wears off, then I drop Shadow Shot. But yeah, now it now it's going to work the same for buffs. So now you got to time, okay, you're using Well right now, so I'll save my bubble. Or I'm going to use my bubble first, save your Well when my bubble drops. You know what I love about this is I'm looking at these numbers. These numbers make so much sense. Like like you're looking at the numbers, right? And let's, let's look at the buffs, right? Frontal Assault, 20%. Sun Warrior, 20%. Those are both like nice buffs 20 percent, right but they're also not a super related buff so it makes sense they wouldn't be the most but you still kind of have to you know activate them in a certain way then well of radiance plus 25 percent kind of makes sense because all you do is stand there and you get an overshield while you're doing it right so it makes sense it wouldn't be the highest weapons of light 35 yep. percent. you have to step out of the bubble to get it right 
you're not nearly as protected. It makes sense that that one would be the highest. Do I think it's a little too high? Maybe. But it makes sense that that one would be the highest. It, it never made sense that Well of Radiance provided more damage bonus than Weapons of Light did because Weapons of Light was harder to use. Right? And so they've swapped that around. And you look at the debuffs. Yeah. Shadow Shot, Tractor Cannon, Hammer Strike, Shadow Strike, they all do the exact same now. And you know what's awesome? Is that means there's choice. There's variety. You don't have to have a Solar Titan in there anymore. You can have a middle tree. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can have a middle tree Night Stalker. You can have a top tree Night Stalker. You can have just one dude with Tractor Cannon. You can have all of them. They just kind of make sense now, right? Shadow Shot plus 30%. Tractor Cannon, plus 30% for all elements, as opposed to that weird void, non-void split that it did before. Hammer Strike, plus 30%. It was previously plus 50%. Shattering Strike, plus 30%. They're all the same. This just this just makes sense to me. It feels good. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing that makes sense too, like, and this is the one, I guess, one of the spots where I feel like Weapons of Light is probably too strong. Um, and we'll probably see an adjustment either of it down Probably a bit down. 30%. Um, at some maybe. point, maybe next season. Slightly less yeah, than Kill Club. Maybe 30. Uh, honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to 25. But the reason I say that is that the debuffs are all basically 30% for PvE. And the thing is, the debuffs pretty much can only apply to a single enemy. Now, Tractor Cannon, you can sort of run around debuffing lots of people or lots of ads. But you have to do one at a time. Shadow Shot can hit multiple adds in a group, which is fantastic, but it, it does have an upper limit, and it can only hold so many at once. Um, and it, it's kind of stuck in a single spot, right? It, it can't, you kind of can't, like, take it with you, and you can't shoot in a circle. You hit one spot, you block that choke point. If adds come from the other direction, well, that Shadow Shot's not going to do you any good. Weapons of Light, you do have to stay close to the bubble. But as long as that bubbles up, you can run back and forth and, and reactivate it. And you can shoot in all directions. It allows you to basically stand in the middle of a plane, have enemies on all sides, and mow them down. And it's effective against every single enemy you shoot with no additional action on your part. And no delay, not being stuck in one place. It's really strong. Like, it's, that's a really strong effect by itself. And Bubbles just got a lot of other buffs. So, basically what I'm saying is you probably want to use Weapons of Light as much as you can, because it's, it's going to be real good, uh, and it may not stick around at this level. Yeah. Yeah. That's my thought. So, I don't even know if we talked about the PvP stuff, but they basically, Shadow Shot, we already talked about moving to 50%. Uh, Tractor Cannon is now 50% for all elements, so that's actually a, uh, a buff in, uh, yeah. in PvP for Tractor Cannon, which is nice. Not that the damage ever really mattered, because you pretty much kill whatever you hit with it already but um unless it was a striker yeah. titan yeah hammer strike and shattering strike uh went from six seconds to 10 seconds which is which is pretty potent um and then now you know this is this is the one we were all looking for reduce super damage resistance uh, they basically said goal since the launch of Destiny 2 we have slowly introduced buff to supers especially roaming supers while we believe supers should be powerful they should not be mindless which they totally are right now we want supers to be more risky in both PvE and PvP we want players to think about positioning and timing more not so long ago we experimented with Spectral Blades by lowering the damage resistance substantially these changes were generally well received and improved the experience of the super for both the person running it and the person who is running from it in PvE players shouldn't feel like their super makes them invulnerable and casting one should call for situational strategic thinking 
In PvP, players need to feel like they can challenge a super and that a skillful player, there's a chance they can beat it. So they uh, removed the super damage resistance from Masterwork Armor, which is good. It never should have been there in the first place. Um, and then they inherently lowered the super damage resistance by categories. There are now three categories, uh, low, medium, and high damage resistance. And then there are three like wonky damage resistances, like super low, zero, super, super low for Golden Gun, Dear God, and then Spectral Blades, which has its own thing. So uh, the- Poor Glass Cannon. Yeah, the low damage resistance supers were taken down to 49%. Nova Fission, Thunder Crash, Blade Barrage, Nova Bomb. Nova Warp. Yes, Nova Fission is Nova Warp. And uh, Nova Bomb and Well of Radiance. Um, I'm happy to see supers at 49%. It is weird to me that Thunder Crash, Blade Barrage, Nova Bomb, and Well of Radiance would be the ones at 49%. To me, those are all the supers that you would think would be the most tanky because they're just one-time activation supers. So to me, it's very, very strange that those are at 49%. I think we've all known that 50% is really the magic number. And if you go over 50%, the only way you can go over 50% and be okay with it is if it's a one-time activation, right? And then you have massive damage resistance while you're in the animation cast, and then it goes away because that's how a super works. So it's very weird to me that Thundercrash, Blade Barrage, Nova Bomb, and Well of Radiance are included in that list. Nova Warp, I kind of understand. You know, and I think it, it's weird, right, because Nova Warp kind of doesn't fit with the rest of those. But um, I think what they're thinking is, and this is pure speculation, I have not asked anybody about this because I just thought of it. But my guess is that they are thinking... It's going to be a lot harder to shoot these guys out of their animation while they're active. So if we give them more damage resistance, it's going to guarantee that their super goes off. But we want there to be a chance, if they have chosen a very poor time to activate it, that they could fail. And so we do that by giving them the lowest damage resistance so that they have to be smart. You can't just run into a room, see six players staring at you with their weapons ADS and go, oh shoot, Blade Barrage, they should have a chance to take you out rather than you just guaranteeing that you win that encounter. That, I believe, is the thinking, which does make some kind of sense. Yeah, uh, I still pretty much disagree <laughs> with the idea because I think you are sacrificing the ability for an extended duration super to have a one-hit kill super, right? Like you press a button, you activate your super, and you're done. And I think because you only get the one shot, you should have higher damage resistance than a roaming super, where a roaming super has the opportunity to run halfway across the map. I mean, yeah. look, Dawnblade didn't get a nerf. Uh, Fist of Havoc didn't get a nerf. So these things are still going to be really, really, really powerful and still have the ability for multiple team wipes. And I feel like, why would I ever use Thunder Crash when Fist of Havoc exists? Why would I ever use Well of Radiance in PvP when Daybreak exists, right? Like, I feel like the risk versus reward is skewed so heavily in favor of the roaming supers that you really have no reason to use one-off supers. And then also Nova Warp up there for some reason. Yeah. 
which I feel like is just a vestige of it having been too powerful once and they're scared of it, right? But like, so then you've got the mediums, which are at 51%, which is for some reason right on the other side of the acceptable number of 50%, right? Which is Hammer of Soul and Daybreak. And then you've got High, which is at 53%, which means they're still going to survive. They were at 60%, so they came down, right? Yeah. But they're still going to survive at 53%, a large number of attacks, right? Fist of Havoc, which is crazy to me because it's the strongest super in the game right now. Burning Mole, which is, in my opinion, an underrated super. I think it's actually insanely powerful and people just don't utilize it very well. Um, Sentinel Shield, which is probably one of the, like, the third strongest super in the game. Arc Staff, which is crazy strong. Uh, Art Lightning, which is uh, Emperor Palpatine's Tickle Fingers. And then Shadow Shot, which... I mean, I guess Shadow Shot makes sense to have high super since it's you're just floating in the air, basically, yeah. you know, immobile. Um, but to me, it's like the positioning of all of these in terms of where their damage is. To me, it, it should be one of two things. If you are a roaming super, you have 50% damage resistance. Full stop. If you are a one-off super, you have like 55% damage resistance. Or maybe even 60 because you're a one-off. And that's it. Like, to me, those would be the only two questions. Are you a roaming super? 50%. Are you a one-off super? Eh, something higher, 55. And then done. So this this organization is just very strange to me. I mean, if you look at it, it's... So the uh, the low damage resistance right now is primarily sort of like one-offs or passives, aside from Nova Warp, which clearly belongs in a different category. Uh, the medium is roaming supers with tracking ranged attacks. Um, aside from Shadow Shot, because in Shadow Shot you can't just run around being super all the time. It's all, you're only super in your animation. And so High is then basically the roaming melee supers and Shadow Shot, which is kind of its own thing, and I guess gets High by default, which I'm not going to complain about. So I feel like Nova Warp probably belongs in High, maybe, but it, it at least should be in Medium. Um, I mean, I feel like, like it's all have. comparable. They should all be in low. Every single one. <laughs> Every single one of those damn rooms. Which is, which is fine. Low, 49%. Which is fine. I'm just saying, like, in terms of their categorization, Nova Warp doesn't make any sense. And then here's the one that is just going to, like, I think this is going to be the, the salt-inducing one that's going to piss people off. Spectral Blades randomly has 52%, unless you're invisible, and then has the highest damage resistance in the game, 54.4%. So I have a feeling that basically that's just going to make a lot of people really mad that they have an extra percent and a half while invisible. This this reminds me, this is the only thing in these patch notes that reminds me of old school Bungie, where the numbers don't make any fucking sense, and their categorizations just seem way overthought out, right? Like, everything up until this point was like simple change, simple numbers, very uniform, Yeah, made sense. This is like old school none of these numbers make sense bungie please fix this stuff like this it's a step in the right direction yeah and i'm not going to complain about damage resistance coming down on supers it's a great step. it is yeah it is not where we need to be fist of havoc burning mall sentinel shield arc staff arc lightning should not have 53 percent damage resistance spectral blade should not have 52 percent damage resistance golden gun probably still needs to have zero percent damage resistance come on six shooter you, you guys need to also change Six Shooter. Six Shooter having unlimited shots is insane. And it's not as bad as Fist of Havoc, but that's only because Fist of Havoc is so bad. And that needs to go away. 
Chaos Reach at 40%. Why is Chaos Reach at 40%? I don't even... You are a stationary floating target that can't see anything. Is completely blinded by their own super, and for some reason it's at 40%. Ka- you know, Chaos it's... Reach should really be with Shadow Shot in high. Like, if they're going to put it somewhere, it belongs right there. Um... Yeah, you should not be challenging a Chaos Reach. When a Chaos Reach goes off, you should be hiding full stop. Like, there are some supers that are like that. Like... You know, unless they activate when they're super, super low health, if you see someone chaos reaching, you need to be behind cover because they are sweeping a giant beam of energy across your face and trying to kill you. So none of these make sense to me, or very few of them make sense to me. Golden Gun I'd change clearly every single one of them. Yeah, in the medium category. <laughs> Golden Gun, you should actually just be immune while you activate your super. I think and so. And then while you continue to use your super, I think and your so. Super also last forever. I, ideally, I should just be able to be in Golden Gun mode all. The time. I think there should be a mode that is just golden gun the entire time unless you're not a hunter and then you have no super and can't use your super i think that would be a lot of fun my thing was what if golden gun was not a not a pistol but when you activated it it was like a uh weapons of light that lasted 12 seconds on any weapon that you had in your hand right so basically we turn an auto rifle into a heavy machine gun it would basically turn a sniper rifle into a body shot kill it'd be badass and yeah, it'd be a dope super, wouldn't it? It'd be it'd be super sick. I bet that's probably what it was, and then it was like a huge pain in the ass to put the effect on all the weapons. Although they do it for Rampage, right? Like Rampage has a glowing, smoky yeah. effect on your weapon. They could just turn it yellow, and bam. You know, you got Golden Gun, but it's way cooler. All I'm saying is Bungie, hire me. I'm available for consultation. Uh, we've done it once before. We can do it again. Yeah, uh, and then they say, speaking of, next week we'll be taking a look at how your arsenal of weaponry will be changing. So... Next week's podcast is already planned, um, which is fantastic. Uh, and then they show us a whole bunch of armor sets, which are generally universally gorgeous, frankly, uh, is my first impression. I know some people have some qualms about the raid armor. Let me let me go off on Destiny Reddit right here, which is freaking the fuck out about this raid armor being a reskin. Number one, this is the craziest amount of effort I've ever seen put into a reskin in my entire life it basically with the exception of the helmet looking slightly similar they've completely changed the geometry they completely changed the textures they've changed the effects they've changed so much shit about this it is the is the barest definition of using the same base armor and then completely building something new on top of it right and yes i understand that you don't think a reskin should be uh, in any form, any form at all, you don't think a reskin should be the raid armor. And generally, generally, I would agree with that. But let's not forget, Wrath of the Machine, all the weapons were reskins. Crota's End, all the weapons were reskins. Vault of Glass, all the weapons were reskins. This isn't the first time that reskin stuff has been in a raid. Calm your tits. I just gotta say this, alright? Like, I am tired of people complaining about a quote-unquote reskin. All right, here is a reskin that I don't like. They take the same thing and they change the color. Like, that's not cool. All right, it's the exact same armor, but it's like pink instead of purple. That's, that's unacceptable. A reskin that I am fine with. They take the base armor model and they completely redo all of the art for it. I don't have a problem with that. That means that they can make it, you know, save those man hours for another part of the game. Do some more art elsewhere. Great. Fantastic. Like, if it looks good, 
Why are we complaining? Because it looks vaguely similar to another set of armor that was in the game before. Like, I, I honest to God, do not understand it. Uh, I went off on this a little bit on Twitter, talking about reskins in other forms of media and how completely nonsensical this argument is. Um, it's like complaining that somebody wrote a book using the same alphabet. Like, yeah, the, the base structure is the same. Shoot, they're writing in English? Man, I've read a book in English before. Like, why do I need to read this one? Like, like it's, why don't you create your entirely new language yeah, for me? Yeah, it's a ridiculous argument. Like, like, okay, like, the Marvel movies, they're all just reskins of the comics. They took the same characters, the same plot lines, and they just kind of, like, freshened them up and put some fancy graphics on them. What's the difference? I don't know, but I paid to go see them. Like, I'm... I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm over it. Whatever. If you think that reskins are bad, I'd love for you to explain why to me on Twitter. Coherently, with bullet points and evidence to support your arguments. Because, I gotta be honest, I'm so over it. Like, I just don't care. I think it looks good. And, and, here's, and here's the crux of why people are upset. They saw the phenotype plasticity universal ornament set, right? Universal ornaments. They can be put on anything. That's literally what they are. They're universal ornaments. They look phenomenal. Probably one of the coolest sets we've ever seen in Destiny, right? Uh, the Hunter in particular has a little vexed leg and also uh, doesn't have a hood up on his cloak. Yeah. And just looks incredibly badass. They all look badass, right? People are like, that should have been the raid armor. You know what? It probably was originally the raid armor. Straight up. It probably was. And you know what happened? They looked at this armor and they were like, holy shit, this is the most badass armor we've ever made. If we stick it behind the raid, less than 5% of the entire population is ever going to get to experience this armor. And you know what it's not going to do? It is not going to motivate casual and new players to upgrade to the season pass. And I, we've, I've said it before on the podcast that I really do believe that Pinnacle Activities should reward the coolest, unique, ornamental gear, right? I think that's something you lock behind Pinnacles. However, if there is one situation where I will excuse Bungie using the using this armor and putting it in a place where everyone who pays for the season pass can get it, it is this expansion. They are trying something totally new. They are going free to play. They need to convince people to upgrade to the season pass or this whole experiment will be a failure, right? This, If you stick this armor behind the raid, a casual player is going to look at that and be like, damn, that armor looks sick. Uh, it sucks I'm never going to be able to get it because it's behind the raid and they're not going to buy the season pass. If you put this armor behind premium, right, a casual player looks at that and says, holy shit, I get that really easily with the season pass just by playing however I want? That's worth 10 bucks on its own. Buys it. And now you've got them hooked, right? I, I do not universally agree that the coolest ornaments, the coolest cosmetic rewards should be just given away to people. But if there is one out of 10 situations where it is okay for them to be doing it, it is this specific situation where they are so wholly and uniquely changing the fabric of Destiny as a game that they need a hook to get people into this new season pass style. Because if they don't, if they lock this shit behind a raid and 5% of the population gets it and they say, oh, I've got bragging rights, I got the coolest armor from the raid, congrats. And you know what? 90 out of 100 players decided not to buy the season pass because they didn't see anything in it for them. <clears throat> right? 
Yeah. That's I, that's my standpoint on it. You know, and I I understand that. I think some people will disagree with you. I don't, but economics aside, Bungie's decision-making aside, the argument for me is just, I, I'm going to stop short of being like super insulting, but I find the argument super insulting. Like it's, it's just completely ridiculous um, that we can't reskin things or we're going to bitch and moan. Like, I, I don't know, you know? I could I could go on literally for an hour and a half podcast listing things off the top of my head that are super popular in the world that are essentially just a redone version of something else. I could go on for far longer than that with 20 minutes of time with Google. Like it's it's just stupid. Things can be good and also be based on something that was done before. Full stop. And I mean, and look at the other armor sets. Like, do yeah. you want the Dreambane set to be the raid reward? That doesn't make sense. Do you want the Substitutional set to be the raid reward? That doesn't make sense. Like, do you want the Empyrean Cartographer, which is the Eververse reward, to be the raid reward? That sure as hell doesn't make sense. It doesn't look like anything. It's super cluttered and, and weird looking, right? Like, the only two sets that made sense to be the raid reward are the Garden of Salvation raid armor set, which looks fucking cool. And if... You, this this raid armor looks sick. Yes, I know it's built off the base of another. It looks fucking sick though. Yeah, well that's why and that's why I say like things can be based off of something else and still be good. Yeah, you know, like so we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes. And plus, I mean, realistically, look at the armor two point reprisals we're getting: Crucible Year One with all Year One ornaments, Vanguard Year One with all Year One ornaments, Black Armory Forge Armor, Gambit Forsaken, and Gambit Prime Armor. All Menagerie armor, all the Raids armor, Leviathan, Eater of Worlds, Spire Stars, Last Wish, Scourge of the Past, Crown of Sorrow, all the Destination armor, European Dead Zone, Titan, Nessus, Io, Mercury, Mars, both Vendor and Escalation Protocol, Tangled Shore, Dreaming City. There will also be additional world drops that can be found in Legendary Ingrams, which have been updated to Armor 2.0. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. We are going to have the most freedom to make our characters look the way we look that we've ever had at any point i think in any of the destinies i mean we there are every single piece of armor in the game is basically going to be armor 2.0 yeah our characters are going to look fantastic there's going to be some great combinations i'm looking forward to it this i'm just uh, the more we talk about the more i'm getting excited for it yeah no i mean i'm i'm super pumped i think it's going to be a great time um and i hope that people like can just move on from these inane complaints and just enjoy the nice things or at the very least that they can just like let other people like things and, and and if they don't like it like they could just like do something else like I don't, I don't know i don't know anyway i think it's i think it's crazy in, in terms of all of the other great stuff going on that we have to throw a fit about that so um yeah and, that, and then they close it out with some weapon stuff only two things it says next week we'll talk about uh, sandbox weapon changes. Sunshot has 12 in the mag. Graviton Lance getting a 30% PVE damage increase. So that's uh, leaving me hungry for more. I can't wait for next week. Yeah. Yeah, next week should be big. And I think that pretty much brings us to the end of episode 133. 
another hour and 30 minute plus episode so we've been uh we've been on a on a roll the last couple of weeks yeah. and i'm sure next week will be just as long if not longer with all the weapons at least at least yeah it's gonna be a good one although what are the dates for next week i am still in town next week which is a good thing yes you although are although i have a business dinner i have to go to on the 12th so we'll hope that that ends early and i do not get too drunk at it <laughs> Well, so it could be a very interesting episode uh, next week when we talk about uh, upcoming weapons changes for Shadowkeep and Season of the Undying. Buff Scout Rifles. Buff Auto Rifles. I would love for my Skyburner's Oath to be a OP PvP weapon. Um, Buff Pulse Rifles that aren't adaptives. Yeah. that would, And aggressives. That would be nice, too. Nerf hand cannons. Nerf all hand cannons. Just, no, Buff Duke. Nerf all the rest of <laughs> All right, this guy's already drunk. So let's call that a drunk show. With power. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much it, though. I, I really do like this whole getting everything out of the way at the beginning, though. I like being able to just cleanly end it right at the end. Yeah, like we're doing now. This is a clean ending. All right, goodbye. Peace, Guardians. <laughs>